Hello, I'm Curtis Bowers, and this is Agenda Weekly. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. I really appreciate it. I hope you had a nice week, and I hope you had a wonderful day last Sunday celebrating Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the most significant thing that's ever happened in the world. The unique thing about Christianity is it's the only religion of all the religions in the world where the actual God of the religion came to earth himself and put himself in human form to show us who he was and to prove it by doing miracles, by doing things a man can't do. And then the final thing, so he would show us that he's worth following, he wanted to show us that he had victory over death because that's what we all fear. We all go, oh, I don't want to die when I get older. And, and, and without hope, you don't want to because you don't know what happens. But once you have hope and you know where you're going when you die, then it's something even to look forward to <laughs> as the years go by. But anyway, I just don't forget that as Christians that, again, you can look at any religion in the world, only one, the God himself loved us enough to come But he not only came, he then sacrificed himself for us so that it could wash away our sins and then we could spend eternity in heaven with him because we would be as spotless and clean as he is because he took all our sins on himself. But it's a wonderful and important day uh, to celebrate. And today we're going to be covering your questions. We haven't done this in a while, so we're going to cover a lot of different topics and a lot of different things, but I think it'll be really interesting and informative. Uh, Before we get into that, one update I wanted to give you. Almost everyone's heard about the earthquake in Turkey, and um, I'd heard about it, didn't know that much about it, till we had friends come down this week who are missionaries to Israel and some of the other countries over in that area, and they told us how significant it is. I thought, oh, The papers say 47,000 people died, which is an incredible amount. But they're telling me they have pastors over there right now feeding the people, clothing them, giving them tents to uh, live in. It's at least 500,000 people have died in Turkey, a minimum. They said they went through town after town after town where the entire city has collapsed. And in A lot of those towns, there's 100,000 people, 50,000 people just in individual towns, and all the buildings are flattened. So they said a minimum of 500,000 people have died. But it's a Muslim area, but it's a Muslim group that the Muslims that run Turkey don't like. You know, there's so much division among the Muslims as well. So they hate them, so they're not helping them at all. And after 14 days, they're just sending in bulldozers to bulldoze everything and take it to the dump. They're not even looking for bodies. They said, anyway, it's a horrible thing. But as Christians, they've come in there. Normally, they're not allowed at all. But because they're bringing food and medicine and clothes and tents, the Muslims are welcoming them in there. So the Muslims even have refused to help them because they're an outcast group. And so it's just a rare opportunity And he said, these people, he showed me pictures, are just lining up for our free bags of food and the different things that we're doing and and some of the the pastors they work with are doing there right now. And so I just want to let you know about that. I'm going to have a link below if you'd like to donate. Every penny will just go to buy food, clothing, and tents for the Muslims in this whole area of Turkey that's been completely destroyed with hundreds of thousands dead. 
but it's a rare opportunity where they are opening their hearts and they're seeing that Christians are loving. And he said, many of the Muslims have come up and said, why are you feeding us when we hate you? And they said, because we love you. And God's told us to come and to serve you and to help you. So anyway, I think God's going to use it to have a great revival in that part of Turkey, like is already happening in Iran. Iran is probably the spot right now of the greatest Christian revival in the world going on right now. And so God's working in the Muslim nations. But the links below is to El Shalom uh, Ministries. They're people I know personally. I donate to them every year and have. But now I'm going to donate even more because this is just a unique opportunity to show love to people that perceive us as their enemies, but we're not. And so anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. But again, thank you so much for listening. I've got a wide variety of questions to answer, and I think it will be a lot of fun. Some of them were kind of funny. The first lady, Gwen, she said, My husband and I watch you regularly on Rumble. We are curious what the gold statue and the stone with the swirl on it are representing in your background right there. And, and another guy was saying, why do you keep using Masonic signs with your hand gestures? If I'm doing that, it's obviously an accident. <laughs> I don't even know what the Masonic hand gestures are. But if I'm doing that, it's an accident. The significance of those two things back there. One, the gold statue is a trophy that we won for our very first film, Agenda Grinding America Down. It was the award for the best of festival um, at a film festival in Texas. And it has tremendous significance to our family because my children had prayed and fasted so earnestly that we would win that. It's just a symbol to us of God's faithfulness to our family. And if you didn't watch the episode from last summer where I tell the story behind Agenda, make sure you watch that. It's an incredible story, all the things God did with us uh, to make a film when we'd never made a film, and then to have it win uh, a huge film festival. It was really a special time. But the Swirled Rock is just, it's a 2,000-year-old hand-carved rock uh, from the Celsius Library in Greece. And I just love history. Just looking at it and seeing how carefully it was hand-crafted 2,000 years ago is just kind of a special memento there. And then I've got lots of old books and things, but nothing has a hidden message in it or anything that's subversive or anything like that. Wade, he's someone that regularly emails us and he has a great heart and he has such a burden for our country. Um, Wade, I appreciate you greatly. He was kind of getting on me for talking too much about the problems going on and not enough about what we can do. And I, I, I agree with that. We need to know what's going on because a lot of times that attracts people then to act um, and to be aware of what's going on so they're not deceived. I try to give you a lot of things to do individually to make a difference. It's hard to come up with new things every single week, but the fundamentals of being faithful with your children and your grandchildren, your spouse, your church, your neighbors, living like a Christian, acting like a Christian around them, speaking truth and things is so vital. His main concern to me, and I'm frustrated with the same thing, Wade, he goes, why don't I call up all the top Christian leaders in America and make them get on board with our great Christian reset? 
I wish I could do that. I, I, I wish I had the influence to be able to do that. But I've learned in my life uh, kind of the hard way, most of the Christian leaders, most of the conservative leaders are in it to benefit themselves. And it's just the way it is. When we first finished the film Agenda, I'd finished this thing that took me two years to make, and I knew it was good. I'd shown it to some groups of people, and they were crying when it was done. I'd go, okay, it's connecting with them. And it was motivating them. At the end, they'd say, we got to do something about this. And I said, oh, that's great. That's why I was hoping to sober them, but then motivate them. And it was doing that, so I realized this is something special. So I wrote a handwritten letter to 800 of the top conservative and Christian leaders all over America. Everyone I'd ever heard of, everyone I'd ever met at a meeting or something, I wrote to all of them. I think this film will help your ministry grow if you can get it into the hands of your people to awaken them to how serious the situation we're in is. Um, I think they'll want to be on board with what you're doing even more. And Wade and those watching... I heard back from exactly zero of them. Not even one said thanks for sending the film. We'll, we'll think about that. And that's when I realized, oh my goodness, our side is so preoccupied with making money or just building up their name. They're not worried about other people and what they're doing. They're worried about only selling their book or only doing their thing. And it really was sobering, but then... God said, you're going to have to go sell this film. And that's why we ended up getting a bus. And my family and I traveled for 10 years all over this country. Every year we would just go, some years as many as 40 states in one year, trying to make a difference. And I'm kind of glad those people didn't respond because it gave my family and I an opportunity to meet you <laughs> and to meet the wonderful people all over America and so, Wade, I, I, I agree. If I ever have the opportunity to influence one of them to get more serious about our action, um, I will. But until then, I'm not giving up. And I am demanding of each of you because I know you. I get to talk to you every week. You have to be faithful doing what God has put you on this earth to do. You have to do that. And I believe that alone, even if we never get the multitudes or the leaders to do it, God is going to use that and it's going to make a big difference. It's like the little boy, would his, his little lunch make a big difference? Earthly wise people would have said, no, it's not going to make any difference at all. And God said, oh, yes, it will. It will feed all 5,000 men and the women and children that are here. Sit down, let's pray. And so that's we have to have that kind of faith in our actions that God is going to multiply the loaves and fishes because I know he can and he will. Next one's from Michaela and her and her family. They love Agenda Weekly. And they were burdened about really getting to know the local food sources, and I, I think that's vital. She tells me this incredible story of how she almost died. She had COVID while she was delivering her baby, and it was so bad they had to do a C-section. And uh, But she realized they were putting her oxygen up so high, it was going to force her onto a ventilator. And she's not even a nurse, but she realized something's wrong. Because if they put your oxygen up too high, when you come off, you can't breathe. So they have to put you in a ventilator. And once you go in a ventilator, you are dead. And she realized that, but she said, God sent a nurse in there that came in and realized, they've got your thing way too high. And she turned it down substantially 
So she was able to survive that, get out of the hospital, but it's awakened her to a lot of things. And one of the things they're thinking about doing is starting a local farmer's market right where they are because they don't see one around. I think that's a great idea. And I think more and more, as people realize the food's going to be tainted by the vaccinations, by the uh, GMO nonsense, by the just as they continue to modify and tinker with what God made, he made it perfect. Food is going to get more and more dangerous, more and more hard to trust where it's coming from. You know, as, as of several years ago, Congress passed a law that no longer does food have to be labeled what country it came from. That's how crazy this is. That doesn't have to be labeled anymore. And in China, they just did a study a few months ago where they put the mRNA technology into the cow's milk. And when people drank it, then they did studies on, does it get into their system? And they found it does. So you don't want to be drinking milk from China, for one. But pretty soon here in America, I don't think you're wanting to be eating most of the food that's being produced either as the next few years unravel and the technology comes up to, to speed. It's going to be a whole new ball game. But she's saying not only is it important to know the local food sources these days, uh, but it's also a ministry opportunity, which is true <laughs> as well. But here's the thing. The globalist the elitists, the people that want the one world government, they've always wanted to control three things, food, water, and energy. Those are all three necessary for life. The food, of course, the government's starting to take that over more, and they're starting to just mass produce things. Bill Gates is getting to that as the largest farm owner in America now. Uh, the United Nations for years, they haven't done it quite yet, but they're trying to get where they're in control of all water in the world. So if you have a pond on your property, they are in total charge of it. That is their water. And they've been working at this. They haven't quite done it yet. But one of these days, if they do, then literally the water in your yard on your private property is no longer yours. And then energy, of course, our government has been cutting off our energy independence from us. So we're going to be dependent on other governments, our enemies, for our energy or solar or wind, which don't work and are a waste. And so that's another scheme because then they'll have to ration energy out to us. And only those that go along to get along will get it. But that's what they do. And then Chris said this, the drama surrounding the release of the January 6th videos last week reminded me of a relevant documentary on the Branch Davidian siege in Waco. The film is called Waco Rules of Engagement. It was released in 1997 and is an in-depth look at the government's role in this tragedy. And he was paralleling that to January 6th. And there are a lot of parallels. Number one, the government was clearly lying to cover up its role in the tragedy. And that film is a great film. I'll put the link below so you can watch it. But it's not for children and maybe not for women. It's very intense and sobering, the reality of that. And then he goes on to number two, and this is key. I want to talk about this for a minute. Some of the key voices in 1997 urging everyone to ignore the evidence in the videos are still active today in urging everyone to ignore the evidence in the January 6th videos, most notably Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden. But he forgot one, Chris, a key one. 
a lot of people don't realize this. I talked about it in an Agenda Weekly a year or so ago. But do you remember in 1995, I believe it was, the Oklahoma City bombing? And as you study that, if you do in detail, you realize that was another inside job, clearly. And proof of it, there's, there's a thousand things that prove it. We have a family friend that personally went into the building the day after the explosions and said there were multiple bombs all inside that building because beams were taken out way back in the structure to make it collapse. And he was a demolitions expert. And he said that kind of bomb would have just broken the windows in the front. It wouldn't have done any structural damage to the building whatsoever. A bomb, when it explodes, it always goes where there's least resistance. And so when the building's right here and there's open air over here, the explosion funnels out that way. That's the way it goes. And he said there was multiple bombs planted inside that building as well. Um, but another thing that proves it is when it was done, they demolished it. Congress was wanting to investigate it more, but then they said, no, we just got to demolish it. And so in just a few days time, they demolished the whole building with no investigation. And then they took all of the ruins of it they dug a hole 50 feet deep in the ground, put all of it down there, covered it in 20 feet of concrete, and then put a barbed wire fence around it with guards. And I go, oh, so you did do it. And But here's the reason I told you that whole story again, is because I started studying that. The left always rewards those who do the dirty work for them. And I looked, who was the person in Oklahoma in charge of overseeing that whole thing and the investigation and to, to make sure we knew the truth about what happened and who all the different people involved were. Do you know who it was? Who the Attorney General of Oklahoma was in 1995? It was Merrick Garland, who's now the Attorney General of the United States. That was his reward for covering that whole thing up. He did no investigation, and he just went along with the party line. Oh, yeah, nothing happened. Just one wacko blew up the building. And all the children that were killed by that and everything else in, in the FBI office that was in the building, and they'd been all told not to come to work that day, and no one ever dug into, how'd you know not to come to work that day? That's the first time that's ever happened. Well, there's so much dirty stuff there, but... As you look at those things, you see, yeah, it's always the same dirty players involved in everything because the more dirty deeds they do, the more they are rewarded and get into higher positions of power. That's the way the establishment in the Republican Party and in the Democratic Party work. Speaking of dirty deeds, I'm going to play this one minute clip for you by Dr. Ron Paul. I saw it this week and he hit on a key thing. We've all talked about the coup that happened. Some of us would say, oh, in 2020, there was a coup against Trump or 2016 and our January 6th in Congress. They were the ones performing a coup. And a lot of those things are true. But he was asked by someone, when did the coup really start? When was everything changed in America that it's gotten us to the place we are today? And he said this, which I'm going to play for you and then we'll talk about it. 
But I do believe there has been a coup and it's been taken over. And if I want to, if I can, I want to just put the date in my mind. And you, anybody could pick probably any date in the last hundred years. But I have picked, uh, I have picked November 22nd, 1963. What happened on that day? That was the day Kennedy was murdered by our government. Wow. You know, by the CIA. That's very sobering when you hear him say that because it's exactly right. The assassination, the public execution of John F. Kennedy by our government clearly was the beginning of the coup. That was it. It's when the deep state and the intelligence community and the CIA and all them knew we're in charge of this country and anyone that does not go along to get along is going to be punished. And they made it a public thing for the whole world to see back then. It was shocking to see someone executed in public that most people loved. And, but it was a reminder to every politician in the future, you better not go against us or you'll regret it. John F. Kennedy, when he came back from the Dallas trip, was going to be dismantling the CIA. He told many people that. And he was going to have Congress implement a currency that was gold and silver backed to compete with the Federal Reserve's notes that had no value at all. And you can't do that. <laughs> the Federal Reserve, the bankers of the world, and then the intelligence community. It's like, you're not dismantling anything, buddy. We're going to dismantle you. And that's what they did. But it's important to look at those things and remember. But anyway, I think that was the day America died officially. It had already been suffering tremendously from you know, Woodrow Wilson and FDR and a lot of the other wicked people that had been in power. But the day that happened, it told the whole world, even though they didn't hear the message clearly like we do now in retrospect, America is run by the elites. The presidents have no power. Congress has no power. Nobody has any power except us. And we are to be feared. And if you do not fear us, you will be exterminated. And that was a very clear message. Al talked about um, an interesting point here. He said, it's no mystery that the elites tell their plans in advance. God tells us his plans in advance too. And I suspect that since he does, he requires Satan to do the same. That's a very interesting thought, uh, Al. And you might be right on that because he has told us exactly how it's all going to play out. And... And maybe that's the rules that we don't know about that govern the universe, but the other side clearly does as well. And he just goes on to talk about just how it's spiritual warfare. And, and there, there's crazy people that are demon-possessed all over doing crazy things. And I think you're right, Al, too. I've talked to my family many times about that. I thought, you know, we see in the Bible, Jesus would come across these demon-possessed people all the time. But we all think of that as, oh, that's in days gone by. That doesn't go on anymore. I do not believe that at all. If, if they were ever capable of doing that, of course they're still doing that. I think most of the drug addicts and homeless people uh, throughout our country in the, in the blue cities are demon-possessed. I think most of these serial murders are demon-possessed, where they're obsessed with killing. They're just filled with hate to overflowing. Just the recent... Uh, transgender person that slaughtered those children and, and, and adults. That's demon possession. I don't think a human being can almost do that. We can be horribly evil, but 
<laughs> for a, a young girl to be killing little children is so against the order of things, so against uh, just everything. It just, I, I think that whole movement is completely satanic to the core um, with the leaders definitely being demon-possessed, people pushing for children to mutilate themselves. You have to be possessed to not see that that is evil. But thanks, Al, that was a good point. Oh, also wanted to tell you, um, those that are in the Tyler, Texas area, wherever you might be, or anywhere in Texas that could come to Tyler next Saturday, April 22nd, I'll be speaking at a kind of all-day conference there in Tyler, and it's going to be really applicable to people that live in Texas because they're going to deal with lots of key issues going on in Texas and things people can be doing to make a difference. So I know you'd really like it if you live in Texas. And But I'll also be speaking on what's going on in our country. And But anyway, we'd love to see if you're able to make it. We have the link below. It does cost $35 to RSVP for the day of events and things. And we'll have that link below for those that are interested, but wanted to let you know about that. I'll also be speaking the next morning at a church there in Tyler. And so that should be great. Linda wrote me and asked if I still lived in Idaho because their family's moving there. And no, I do not live there anymore. But you were debating between Boise or Caldwell to live in. We lived in Caldwell out in the country and enjoyed it very much. So you might want to take a look out there. <laughs> it was a very nice area. Then Susan has an email talking about just being concerned for the future. And I, I think that's justified. And they're talking about, you know, what are ways we can be prepared for the changes that might be coming or if they start penalizing or punishing people who are conservative and things like that. And that might still be a few years away. But I want to encourage all of you, especially if you're 55, 60 and over to be prepared for the storm coming because we know it's coming. It has to come because you reap what you sow, but do it in the way of being thrifty. Be thrifty right now today so you can save up a little extra for tomorrow. Try to be debt free if you can. These are just good principles for anyone, but especially if you're not earning as much as you used to and you're kind of on a fixed income. You know, then put your money into things of value. Because of the 10-15% inflation each year, and, and it looks like that might continue, uh, just having your money sitting in dollars is kind of tough because it it just keeps losing value and it's going to make it harder to get by. So we've done so many different things with some of our little savings. Some we've you know, bought boxes of ammo because that has real value. That's a tangible thing. We've bought some gold and silver. That's a real thing. That, that's a tangible thing that has value. It always will. I bought 10 or 15 extra just handguns. I've kept them in the box just put them away in a safe and they're there brand new. And I knew if things ever get really rough, trading that for something, it would have tremendous value. Oh, here's a brand new 38 special or whatever. Um, but there's so many different things that have value. Getting some food that, you know, has a long shelf life, uh, that has value. And so it's ways to preserve your wealth as it keeps losing value. And then I really want to encourage you, all of you that are older, and I thought of this the other day. I was at the music store in our town. My sons are taking piano there, some of my younger sons. And 
the man who runs the store and has for 50 years, he's 86 years old. He's still in there every day working. And I thought, isn't that wonderful? He loves talking to all the young people when they come in. And, but he's still being productive. He's still making money. So he's not having to worry about living off his savings. He's still continuing to be productive. And I want to encourage you in that. Maybe you don't work as hard as you did when you were younger, but just because you're 60, 65, whatever, don't stop being productive. There's so many things you can do that are not near as demanding. One of the other things we've done as a side income stream, we got a golden doodle and we're going to start breeding her this summer. And we thought, that's just another income stream. We know several families that have several dogs. And dogs nowadays, if you haven't noticed, they sell for two, $3,000 each, the puppies. Well, that's a lot of money. If you have a litter of eight or 10 dogs, that can be an extra twenty to 30000 influx once a year when your dog has puppies. And that's not that demanding to oversee a dog while they're pregnant and then take care of the puppies for the eight weeks until you sell them. But, but I want you to think like that in, in productive ways because we need to be so we're not just using all of our savings where it's just dropping like a rock from inflation but also from spending it. Some of you older people, you need to be available in your local church or area to tutor students in whatever subjects you like best, music, English, math. Tutors are so needed right now in this country because kids are all behind because of COVID and everything else. But you can get $20, $30, $40 an hour easily for tutoring. And so that's a simple thing. Or giving music lessons in your home if you play the piano or something. But just small, simple businesses, um, maybe having a big garden and selling some extra vegetables, just doing things that you enjoy, whatever that is, but where you continue to bring money in to your system. Don't just at 60, oh, that's it. Now I've got to just live off what I've gotten. Because I think with the way things are going, you're not going to make it to old age the way they're devaluing the currency so much. Charles uh, kind of corrected me in saying that when I had David McIlvaney on, he said it sounded to him like David didn't know if it was all purposeful or not. And I think he does, but he doesn't talk about that as much as I do because I think it's of vital importance. And so he was saying I should have corrected him on the, the show and said, you're wrong in this. It's totally purposeful. It's all happening as planned and everything. And I don't do that with the people I have on here. But I know those of you that listen to me regularly, you know exactly where I'm coming from. Of course, it is purposeful. Of course, it's all part of a plan to devalue the money, to to corrupt the system. So we're more dependent on them. But But thank you, Charles. I appreciate any kind of constructive criticism, but I want you to know I, I get that, Charles, and I and I have for many, many decades. Bob and Kelly had a very encouraging one about how they've been listening to Agenda Weekly, and it gave them the courage to stand up. And he said, I was fired from my pharmaceutical job of 15 years for refusing to take the jab, along with about 100 others. So he actually had to pay the price. But he talks about then several of the people he knew, they died from the shot when they took it. And at the end, he said, your messages help us stand firm, fight the good fight. Well, Bob and Kelly, thank you for telling me that. That means so much to me. 
that we're helping instill the courage in you to do what is right. It's not always easy, but it's always the right thing to do. And then they included this poem. I can't read the whole thing, but I'll read a couple lines out of it, talking about the whole COVID nonsense. The tyrants summoned, the puppeteers jerked, the puppets danced, the colluders implemented, the doctors ordered, and the hospitals administered. And it goes on to different things, but that's exactly what happened. It was all a big show, a big pre-planned theater <laughs> that we lived through. And every day that goes by, more evidence comes out where we know that is the case. It was totally pre-planned. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has exposed so much of the things now through the Fauci texts and emails and things. They knew exactly what was going on from day one. It was clearly planned and premeditated and... It's hard to believe. Don says that they have now moved their money uh, from Bank of America to a smaller bank, and they're so glad, and, and they thanked us again for the encouragement to get local, to get to know the people you do business with, to support those you live amongst. Buy anything you can right where you live, even if it's twice the price, because it's not twice the price. When that money stays in your community, your community is richer. Um, because then that person has more money so they can buy from the other guy and on and on. It keeps circling. The money keeps creating wealth right where it is. That's why the big banks are so evil. They take all the money out of our communities and then they loan it to big business or different things that are not benefiting us directly. Anyway, but I'm, I'm thankful, Don, that you all have done that. So many have emailed us about that. And it's just it's good to get local at every level of everything. This one's from Dennis and Fern, and they talk about gold and silver and things. They say, can you please let us know how to see in a practical day-to-day -day way that having gold or silver instead of dollars will work? We cannot understand or see how it will play out in daily living. Please advise. Great question. Like I talked about earlier, real things, tangible things, they have real value, like ammo or guns or dogs or whatever. They have a real value to them, a cow. If you raise cattle, those cows, you know, it's 2,000 bucks each or whatever. So they have real value to them. Our dollar doesn't have any value at all. It's kind of something that's kind of hard to even put your head around, but right now is the first time in the history of the world that no currencies are backed by anything. It's all fiat currencies is what they call it. So it's not really money. Money has to be tangible and it has to have absolute value. So we're not dealing with money, we're dealing with currency. And our dollars, ever since we went off the gold standard and then we also got rid of the silver in our coinage, 1965, um, is just a piece of paper that we all agree to say has value to it, but it actually has no value. And we're used to that because we're like, well, that's the way it's been my whole life. But in world history, it's never been that way. Countries always had currencies that had a real value. They had part silver in the coins or part gold or, or whatever. And so that's why people trusted the currency. That's why people felt free to exchange the currency or actually money for their work or their products. I mean, today, if you go buy a new Ford truck and you take, you know, a stack of $100 bills in there to buy, you're literally giving them, 
you know, a little stack of paper that's probably worth $5 maybe for the truck. And I know you say, well, yeah, but people do that. I know they do that. But what starts happening is what's happening now. As things start to inflate, they start printing more and more money to solve their problems. Slowly, all of a sudden, people start going, wait a minute. And, and inflation starts going up tremendously because there's so much money out there and nobody wants it. Right now, going on in the world, the BRICS nations, uh, Russia, China, Brazil, and, and several others, they're all starting to use the Chinese currency as a way to, to buy and sell from each other. Up until just recently, everyone bought everything worldwide with U.S. dollars. So there was a tremendous demand for them. So when the Federal Reserve printed more of them, there was people, oh, we need to buy some dollars because that's how we buy oil or that's how we buy food or whatever was going on in the world. When China bought something from Russia, they used dollars to do that. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that. That's why the dollar had value, even though it wasn't a real currency that had any intrinsic value in it. It was just, well, those are in demand, so I don't mind having them because I know every country needs those dollars to be able to pay their bills and things. And But as that is changing now, because people see, man, America just keeps printing money. They just print paper and give it to us for all our products we're sending them and stuff. Uh that's what's causing the inflation. There's too many dollars. And when there's too many dollars, nobody wants them. So, so to answer your question, I know this is a roundabout and I still have some other points to make on it. The reason you want to have some other things is because when it starts snowballing, like Venezuela, Argentina, some of them just in the last 20 years, where all of a sudden you go from having 10% inflation a year, like we're having right now, to 70% inflation in a year, and then maybe 200%, where then all of a sudden the store owner, when you come in to give them dollars for the new mixer you're buying for your kitchen, they're like, we don't want that. <laughs> uh, give us gold, give us silver, give us something of value. Give us a big pack of ammo and we'll, we'll trade you. But they people start to not want it. And the day that happens, it snowballs, where then all of a sudden, like in Zimbabwe right now, their dollar, when it used to be Rhodesia, you know, 50 years ago, their dollar was very similar to the American dollar. And today in Zimbabwe, they changed the name, the communists, when they took it over because they didn't want you to know it's the same country that had been so prosperous. It's over a trillion dollars for a cup of coffee. It's over a trillion dollars. That's how much value it lost. Just think if... if in 10 years, 20 years, it takes a trillion American dollars to buy a cup of coffee. Are you going to be okay financially? <laughs> no. <laughs> but if it takes a trillion dollars to buy a cup of coffee, we know an ounce of gold will buy a thousand cups of coffee. So that means an ounce of gold will be worth one zillion dollars in that scenario. Anyway, it's, it's to preserve your wealth. You might not actually be buying things with it, but you might actually be buying things with it. We don't know how fast it will crumble, how dramatic it will get, what's all going to happen. But I know as the, the CBDCs come out and, and people are not wanting to use those, I think some more of silver, gold type systems are going to come into place. I think some states, which are talking about it right now, they're going to start instituting a real money um, that has value with silver in it or gold in it. 
And so I think things are going to pop up. But as just good advice, again, don't have your dollars sitting in dollars because in reality, they're not worth anything. And in reality, we know they're losing 10 to 15% of their value every year that goes by. So your $100,000 that was in the bank last year, all year, this year is only worth $85,000. I mean, it's, it's significant. So that's why I talked about it. One other example I put on here that's kind of funny, but it shows when the market doesn't want something, it becomes worthless. I remember in Tampa when I was growing up, Tampa, Florida, uh, there was a Yugo dealer. I don't know if you remember those little Yugo cars. Well, they were made in a communist country, so they were a piece of junk, so nobody wanted them. But I remember the day they started having a sign out front of the dealership, buy one, get one free. <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, nobody wants what you have, so it's just lost half of its value, and then they still couldn't sell them. So then the Cadillac dealer in town bought all their inventory once they went out of business because nobody wanted them, and they must have bought them for really cheap. But I thought it was funny. They had an ad about a month later. If you buy a new Cadillac today, we'll throw in a Yugo for your kids. <laughs> and so, but that's when something loses its value. That hasn't happened to America because all the countries of the world are so unstable, people still put value in the dollar. So I don't know if this is going to happen overnight, but just even with the inflation rate, we have to really wisely put our money in anything tangible. Um, because everything tangible is going up in price because our dollars are going down in value. And so anyway, that's a long explanation, but it's really important because um, if you don't understand that, all of a sudden you can wake up in a world where you're dirt poor, but you thought you had a lot of money, but the money you had was in dollars and they, like the people in Rhodesia and many other places, Venezuela, Argentina, and most countries of the world that have high inflation, they realized the day you get your paycheck, you go buy something real with it because you know even by next week, it's not going to have as much value. But that's why some people buy some gold and silver to have that there as a real store of value for the future. And that's why we recommended uh, the McIlvaney's ICA. I'll put that link below again, those that are thinking about doing that in case you're interested to get more uh, advice from them on that. And I'm not a financial advisor, so I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just offering suggestions based on what I have done and I feel is wise to do. Tom wrote a very sweet email talking about... Um, he wonders how I can be so optimistic with all that's going on. And, and it's very sweet just talking about him, the concerns he has for the future, but how he's trying to be faithful day by day. And he says this, he goes, I still go about like America can change. I'm a veteran and a patriot, yet my heart is focused on the Lord's work, not what people are choosing over the Lord. I pray for revival always in my heart, not my will, but his will be done. I probably should tell you, if you have not figured it out by now, I don't think America will turn around. I think it's too late. I do believe I have to follow God's word and remain faithful to it. My hope is in him and in his word. My task is to reveal Jesus to a lost and dying world. You're absolutely right, Tom, and I appreciate that. I don't know what's in store for America, but God has called us to be faithful. 
and I know he's long-suffering and merciful. That's what gives me the hope that he might choose to do something. And the fact that he has awakened a whole generation of people to homeschool their children and have lots of kids. And I'm like, well, why is he doing that? He always does things very purposefully, obviously. And that's always given me hope too of, I think he's allowed these things to take place for a purpose. And he, of course, has. But if America is finished, then that's okay. We still need to be faithful. We still need to speak truth, stand for the truth, and live out the truth. We need to be sharing the gospel. And when we share the gospel and we live like we should, it makes the gospel make sense. And God uses that to touch people's lives and soften their hearts. And But anyway, I, Tom, I, I agree with you. I just want to encourage people to faithfully keep moving forward, knowing God is in control. So he could change the plans of the wicked if he wanted to. He could overthrow them. And, and we just, we never know. But I know he will do exactly what is perfect and what is best. Then I go on to Tanya. She just said, uh, I'm curious what happened to the young men that used to appear on Agenda Weekly. Uh, that's my son-in-law, Joshua. And he still is helping return emails and writing the news briefs and everything totally involved in this. We just thought it might be easier just having one of us have to do this each week. Um, and anyway, but thank you for remembering him. That was fun. The, the times that we did do it together. I enjoyed that a lot. Ellen said, thank you a thousand times for your presentation on our current state and status and making so clear what needs to be done. I'm joining you in prayer every day, every minute as we fight this evil, and I thank you and your family and your team, everyone with the deepest gratitude and thankfulness. Thank you, Ellen. That is so sweet, so encouraging. It helps fuel our tanks to keep moving forward, even as sometimes things seem hopeless, <laughs> but they're not. Anyway, one last thing I wanted to end with is this. As I talked about at the beginning, many have asked questions about the different things behind me, and I grabbed another one of my books that is normally on the shelf right behind me over here, and I wanted to read you something out of this. This is a Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's so amazing, from 200 years ago, and I just want to encourage you. We come from a great stock, from people that were willing to just lay it all on the line um, because it was the right thing to do and because they loved God. And I just wanted to read you the introduction, just a few sentences of this, to Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I think this is like 1800 and something, this edition. But listen to this. Human life is a record of experience and of principles in action. The heathen philosopher thought that there was no sublimer sight for heaven or earth than a great man struggling with adversity. But there is a greater emphasis in this reflection if we apply it to the noble victory of the Christian martyr over the assaults of the world, the flesh, and the devil. In him we behold a spirit upheld, not by the motives of vanity, self-sufficiency, or indifference, but by the simple power of truth. We witness a soul so under the influence of good that evil, even in its most cruel form, cannot dim its beauty, but serves as a contrast to heighten its luster. 
Here is self-sacrifice, springing not from pride, but from humility, found not by ignorant prejudice, but upon a faith based upon conviction, arising not from hatred or contempt for man, but from the love of God. Anyway, it goes on and on there, but it is the first time I read this book, I read it out loud to my children, and I remember several times starting to cry while I was reading it. The people throughout history that God has allowed to suffer for what they believe in um, are many. God might allow us to suffer too. But as you read this book, and you need to read it if you haven't, Fox's Book of Martyrs, you realize God is always faithful. God is always with us, no matter what we have to endure. I remember one story in here. It was a father who had 10 or 11 children, and he was being burned alive for not buying into some of the lies that the Catholic Church was pushing. And he, he just, as he was dying, he was just singing hymns there as his children were watching the flames envelop him. And I just thought, man, he was happy to do it too. He had talked about in a last letter that he wrote to them, he wrote as he was in a dungeon waiting for his execution, he said, I just heard that they're going to execute me in the very village in which I was pastor, which is where the family lived. And he was so excited because he said, now my blood will seal my sermons. The people will know I believed what I was preaching. And he, he was legitimately excited that, oh, I'm going to be burned alive in my hometown. So all the people there that knew me will see it's real. I, I'm willing to die for it. But we have a lot of great examples of us in history. If we'll take the time to read about them, be inspired by them, and then pray to God that he would allow us to likewise have that kind of courage, that kind of commitment to make that kind of difference in the world. Because not one drop of blood has ever been shed from a Christian martyr that he didn't multiply out a thousand times uh, the influence because of that. Our verse for this week is... It's Proverbs 15, 1, and it kind of fits into that. When you have the truth on your side, you don't have to be mean. You don't have to be angry or hateful. You just need to speak it. I think this verse is one of the keys of life. If you get a hold of this principle and live it, your life will be so much sweeter than those that do not have the self-control to do this. Here it is, Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Knowing when to speak and how to speak and always speak the truth in love. The truth is what's powerful. We, you don't have to exaggerate the way it is being said when it's truth because the truth pierces the conscience of man and makes a big difference. But I appreciate you all very much. It's a just of joy and a blessing and a privilege to talk to you each week. And until next week, God bless you.